light brings life. That message rings true, and hopefully it'll ring true as we dig into this book of 1 John. Light brings life. On our own, we can never produce real life. On our own, you and I can never produce righteousness. It's impossible for us to do anything righteous on our own. We only are able to be able to do that by Christ working through us, the righteousness of God being on us. Yet this life that we have as a result of the light of God reflecting off of us allows us to give him greater glory. Light is necessary for things to grow. You need light for grass to grow. You need light for vegetation to grow. We need light in order to grow also. Yet on our own, we could never produce anything that's life-giving unless it comes from God alone. God is the source of light. We are just reflectors of his light. God, who sits on the throne in heaven, who's seated on the throne of glory, shoots his glory down. We're supposed to reflect it so that he gets greater glory and we can do what we were made to do. We were never created to be the center of attention. God was created to be the center of attention. He was created to do the works through us so that he gets the glory and we don't. Light is available to us from God. And once we become a reflector of that light, we have life. Life giving life to us and to others. Let me just pull away and describe it this way. You and I are only mirrors. We're not sources of light. We can't produce light on our own. We might claim to, we might think we can, and from time to time we might want to try to, but we can't produce righteous light. It's impossible on our own. We're just a mirror, a reflection of the light that comes through the throne. So John writes this book to the early group many years ago and to us today. You and I must be people of light, but we can't do it on our own. Let me show you what I mean. We are merely a reflection of. We are merely a mirror. We have been created to be a mirror. You're not supposed to see us behind the mirror. God is light. We are supposed to reflect his light so that it brings life. We aren't supposed to generate this light on our own. We are just a reflection. So we are here to reflect glory to him so that he gets greater glory and we hide behind the mirror because he is due with glory and recognition and praise and not us. Let me demonstrate a second. Hannah, can you turn on the light? We are reflectors of light. We don't make light. And so as I reflect this light and I stand in the path of light, I can reflect light. I can't create it on my own, but I can create light by reflecting this light. And so when I reflect light, 
I am standing in the path of God. So each day that we wake up, we are supposed to reflect light. And when we reflect light, it gives God greater glory. As you can tell, a mirror was never intended to be the source of light. It's just a reflection of light. And when it hits your eyes, you see the light. The minute I move from the light, I no longer reflect the light. And so John is saying, position yourselves so that you can reflect light. You can turn the lights back on. Thank you. So how do we do that? Even more importantly, this question. Are you a reflector of light, a mirror, or have you tried to hijack the seat of glory, the throne of God, and say, you know what? I want to create my own light. The minute we say it's about me, the minute you and I want credit for the good and righteous acts that come as a result of him working in us, that's the minute we walk in darkness. Let me demonstrate what we try to do. Can we turn the lights out in the house, please? Often, we want to hijack the seed of glory from our God and say, hey, look at me. When Christ wants us to walk in the light to reflect his light, this isn't light. This is darkness. Because we are selfishly saying, bring praise to me. And so John is saying, we must not reflect our own light, we must be a mirror of his light. We can turn the house lights back on. So let me ask you a question. Are you a mirror? Or are you trying to produce your own light? Do you like hijacking the seat that belongs to Jesus? And say, hey, look at me. Hey, do you see what I did? Look what I'm able to do. The minute you put yourself and trying to put yourself in the throne room in the seat of glory, you usurp the power and authority that belongs to Jesus Christ. By the way, I should have told you for this message to put on your steel toe shoes because John will beat us up and it's a good thing. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean. Turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up, please. If you don't have a Bible, I I ask that you follow along. If you don't own one, take it home. It's a gift from Grace Community. Turn to the book of 1 John in the New Testament. Go to the back of your Bible. You'll see Revelation. Turn left and you'll you'll see Jude. And you'll see 1 and 2 and 3 John. Grab 1 John chapter 1. And let's look at what John says the ways in which we must let this light that comes from the glory room, heaven, God, change us. Stand with me, and we're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Ready? Read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. You may have a seat. John opens this passage with some of the most powerful theology in all of Scripture. Because he sets up the basics and premise that Jesus, who he walked with, who he touched, who he saw, who he ministered with, not only was a man on earth, but he is God. And so he's trying to send this message to this group many years ago. Hey, once you've been with Jesus, everything changes. Jesus is the real deal. And so today he wants us to know that same thing. He wants us to know that the originator of this light the source of light, these good deeds that we could only do only come from God, who his name was Jesus. He walked on earth. I touched him. I saw him. I prayed with him. He was the real deal. And I'm going to testify that he is God. This light, John said, in turn, once you spend time, it should inspire you to live differently. There are three times in scripture that I'm aware of where this phrase at verse 1 appears. Look again at this phrase in verse 1. It says, that which was from the what? Beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. If you open your Bibles, you don't need to. If you went back to Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. If you go to the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. We see it again. That which was from the beginning. So John is saying, hey, there's this significant God that was from the beginning. But better yet, there's some rich Greek that needs to surface in this first verse that doesn't appear in the English. In our translations, to make it sound more literally understood, instead of cryptic, we see a translation that says, that which was from the beginning. If you were to look in the original, this should be read, because the article isn't a definite article. The article isn't one that says, the beginning. Like, if I were to say, this is the stool, in other words, this is the stool I want you to look at. You would say, there's only one stool to look at. If I were to walk over here and grab this water bottle and say, this is the water bottle. I am talking about a specific and only water bottle. Yet, this translation has the word the in front of the beginning. However, a better translation would be read this way. Look again. It should be read this way because there isn't a definite article attached to beginning. That which was from beginning. Why is that significant? Because if you attach a the, a definite article to beginning, then there had to be a specific time when Jesus began. There had to be a point in time, this is when he was created. This is when he was started. But the English language doesn't show it, but in the Greek, it does. In other words, the beginning, it is that which was from beginning. No specific time, no specific beginning. And what it's saying is this, our 
God doesn't have a beginning. Now, if I were to translate this verse, I would translate it this way. Before, before, Jesus was before. Now, I know that just kind of just blew your mind because it blows my mind. Before, before, before the beginning, before, before, Jesus was before. You see, the minute you try to attach a beginning to God, he's no longer God. Because that means he was created. There had to be something that made him. And John says, wait a minute. This, this God that I walked with on planet Earth, this, this, this Savior that I touch, this Jesus that went to the cross. I want to tell you something. Listen to me, church. He had no beginning. He has been around. He's the Alpha and Omega, and he has no creator. He is God. And when you come in contact with him, you're never the same again. Now, is that the case with you? Like, yeah, praise God, hallelujah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Been a Christian for 27 years. Here I am, praise God. Oh, how great thou art. Oh, I'll lift one arm today. <laughs> it's awesome, praise God. You see, the minute you come in contact with a living God, it should radically change your life. Does it? Like, was it like, oh, jeez, I gotta go to church again today and listen to that blabbermouth Jim Brown. Holy cow. Oh, I gotta go there and... Look there. She agreed. That baby agreed. <laughs> Thank you, God. Seriously, I mean, did you wake up today and say, Woo! It's great to be a child of the king. Or did you wake up today, oh jeez, I'd rather sleep in. The World Cup's coming on. I need to be wide awake for that puppy. John is saying, Hey, listen to me. I touched him, I saw him. He changed my life. He's light. He's, he's everlasting life. And when you come in contact with him, everything should change. And you should spend the rest of your life trying to be a reflector, a mirror of that light and hide behind the mirror so that he gets greater glory and you aren't seen or witnessed at all. You see, this light should inspire us Everything else in creation has a beginning point, an origination point, a, 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 a birth certificate. You go get my birth certificate, January 4, 1962, Jim Brown Jr. was created, and the world said, who cares? But Jesus, he's been around forever. Ever and ever and ever and ever. He has no beginning. There's no definite article like Ohio State fans say, the Ohio State. No, this isn't the beginning because Jesus has been around forever, but he is the Jesus. John says, when you touched him, you've seen him with your own eyes. It should change the way you live. This life of reflection should be exhilarating. It should take your breath away, John said. Is that the case? Like, I mean, as you, as you grow in your faith, shouldn't it be like the more time I spend with Jesus, like the more I'm just in constant awe of who he is? Like, shouldn't it be like we should be growing because we've spent so much time in the life? Wow, look at what he did there. Wow, look at what he did there. Wow, give God greater glory. Wow, 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 wow. See, here's the problem, though. We want the seat of glory. <laughs> we like it. Like, 
I like my name in print. I'm Bob Smith. Look at me. I do good things. I'm good at this. In fact, I'm really good. Let, let me tell you about it. You see, the minute you hijack the throne of glory, the minute you hijack the seat that belongs to Jesus Christ, you and I are walking in darkness. You don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. See, the only good that you and I will ever do on this side of eternity is because we are reflectors of the light and the God of good working through us. So John says this then. If we walk in the light and we know the light, verse 3 says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have what with us? Fellowship. And our what? Fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So what is fellowship? He's saying the minute you position yourselves to get back in, in, the, in the light, you have fellowship with God. Like, like you are in tune with God. But the minute you walk away from that light, you are no longer in fellowship, nor are you in fellowship with those who call themselves Christ followers. So it's a daily journey. Hannah, could you turn that light on again? It's a daily journey for us to wake up every single day and position ourselves to get in the path of light. Like, we need to move. The minute we move, wait, get back here. The minute we wake up and say, oh, look at me, get get, get back here. This is the picture of a person who's in tune with God. You see, we were not made to be seen. We are reflectors of the light. You can turn the lights back on. Thank you. And when we get in the path of light, there's this rich fellowship that comes. What's fellowship? Like, I heard a person define it one time by saying it's two fellows in the ship. That sounds great, doesn't it? Fellowship isn't having a better time. Like, I'm going to have a good time tonight. That's not fellowship. Fellowship isn't having more fun. Fellowship isn't trying to get all the gusto out of life that you can get. Fellowship isn't just to get rich and be happy the rest of my life. But it's a rich, deep, satisfying, abundant, satisfying, and productive life of giving Jesus greater glory. Listen to me, church. That's fellowship. You know what a fellowship is? It's getting back in the path, and it's making Jesus look good. It's giving him greater glory. And when we do that, we are connected to God. And when other Christians do that, guess what? We are of the same mind as Father God, and there is not division. There is unity. And when unity is there, it means we are walking in light. Fellowship is not a form of entertainment, but it's living in harmony with God and living under his protective hand of blessing. You see, God longs, and John is saying he longs for us to remain in fellowship with him and with other Christ followers. Maybe we just need to stop and pause right now and say, Lord, I'm off track, and I'm just now realizing maybe this is why I feel so empty, and maybe because I've made it more about me and my pursuits and my longings and my desires than yours. And 
You see, we're not the sources of anything. Listen to me, Grace. We're not the, we can't create anything good on our own. It's impossible. Listen, if we get that one down, it changes everything. The only way we could ever produce any good or do any good is if we step into the light, we reflect his light because our God is good. Our God gives us the righteous ability to do those things. We need to quit trying to hijack God's glory, John is saying. By the way, seriously, like, who really cares about the guy behind the mirror? <laughs> if we call ourselves Christ followers, why should we be concerned about the guy behind the mirror? It's not about the guy be- or gal behind the mirror. It's like, Grace Community Church isn't about you. It's not about Jim Brown. And the minute it becomes about Jim Brown, then you know what? We're walking in darkness. But the minute it remains about Jesus Christ, and guess what? We're walking in light. This light is a guide for our life. In addition to us being reflectors of this light, it also marks out the path we're supposed to walk in, where we can experience rich, adventurous, risk-taking, life-changing opportunities. In other words, when we put God in the center and we become a mirror that this light marks the path and the path we're supposed to walk on. In fact, look at verse 5 through 7. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is what? Light. In him there is no what? Darkness. How much? At all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, that we sit in this seat over here, we what? We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, position ourselves to get in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, does what for us? Purifies us from all our sin. In addition to being reflectors, it marks out the path for us to walk on. By the way, there's no darkness in God. God never misleads. God never distorts. God never deceives. Darkness hides and confuses everything. Light tells us where to walk. Let me show you. Like, can you turn this light on again, Hannah, please? Not only are we to be reflectors of the light, but this light marks out the path that we're supposed to walk in. So what am I supposed to do today? I'm supposed to pray and I'm supposed to listen to the promptings of the spirit. There's the path. The minute we walk out of the path of God, we seat ourselves when it's all about us. We walk in darkness. We find confusion. There's disunity. There's disharmony. There isn't fellowship because we're out of the light. So every day, not only are we reflector, but it marks out the path that we're supposed to walk in. You can turn the lights back on. So let me just ask you a real personal question. How'd you do this morning? Like, how do you know if you're walking in the light? Okay, Pastor Jim, that sounds really good up here, but what's that mean to me? Like, if it marks out the path, and I know it's supposed to, how do I know whether I'm walking in the light? 
John says, you'll have fellowship, you'll have unity with other believers, you'll have unity with me, you'll be in agreement with me and the word of God, and you will know that by the way you live out your life and others that call themselves Christ followers live out their life. All of us on occasion have used this phrase, and I have too. We say this. I was led by God to say this. I was led by God to do this. Now, we should be, by the way. In fact, that's been the prayer for this year, for 2014. People ask, pray for wisdom, pray that I can hear the voice of God. Because if we hear the voice of God, then we respond from his voice instead of our voice. So that each you and me, when we're walking in the light, we are led by God. We are led by the Spirit to do something. So how do you know when you're led by the Spirit? Like, like, how do you know when two people look at the same thing and come up with different conclusions? Well, let me give you an example. Yesterday, on this very same day, in two different kind of forms, I received a reply about it takes a church that we did here at Grace Community. Both individuals were led by God. Both individuals were prompted by God to write me. I received this letter in the mail yesterday from someone out of Mesa, Arizona. Never met her before in my life. She wrote a four-page letter to me. Four pages, back and front. Took time to write this. And, and she wrote this letter to me. And short and sweet, this is basically, I'll sum it up. This is one paragraph. She says, we all know a dead tree cannot bear fruit. I would agree with that. And a preacher that has forgotten why he became a preacher cannot win sinners for Christ. She even commented in here that probably when you get to this point, you'll probably trash this letter by then. So I got that from her. That was... She said a lot of other nice flowery things to me too in this letter. It's not uncommon for me to get letters like this. On the very same day, very same day, I'm outside. I'm talking to my wife. We're catching up. We had, she had a great week, a week with her family in Michigan. I spent one night there, which was great. And, um, and, and so we're catching up. And, and I, I'm telling her, I said, honey, today I received this letter and about it takes a church. And, you know, I told her a little bit about it. My phone beeps. It's an email. And so the subject line is this, the dating program. Like, oh boy, here we go again. So I open up this email from a local pastor in the community. And he began to say some really nice things. And I, I'm not here to, 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 to bring all that forward, but... One thing he did say was this. I wanted to let you know that your sincerity and heart for Jesus was obvious. You exhibited huge skill and talent in every way. So, no, 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 no I, I'm not here to bring, I don't want any claps. That, that's not why we're doing this illustration. Thank you. Otherwise, I'm taking that seat. <laughs> let me ask you a question. Who was led by God? So, could they both have been? Was, was she right and was, was he right or was it one or the other? Like, how do you know? Like, 
did, did this person wake up one day and God's saying, you need to give it to him? Did, he could. Did, did, uh, did he wake up one day and said, hey, you need to give it to him? Well, let me give you some things that I often preface by wondering if it's from God before I speak it. Here's what I know about my God. My God never accuses. My God never condemns. My God never gossips. My God is never negative. My God never beats people up over and over and over again. And so, as I am about to respond to something, you have to ask, and I have to ask this question, if I'm in the light, does this attribute, can you turn the light on again, please? Does this attribute reflect God? Like, what we say then is what God is saying. So, let me ask you a question. When you write that scathing report, are you sure it's from God? When you gossip, is that from God? When you say something about someone, is that from God? When you lift someone up and gently critique them, is that from God? You can turn the house lights back on. So, there's evidence in our lives there's ways to, to do some self-evaluation. Like, so when I speak, often we just need to say, don't say it. Give it time. And if the Spirit continues to bring it and bring it and bring it. You see, the minute we respond from our flesh immediately is the minute we are in trouble. So John says, there should be unity. And when you're in the light, it'll show it by the way you live your life. And it's impossible to walk in darkness and trade seats with God and say we have fellowship with him. Here's what Jesus probably says to us often when we're over here. Hey, get back here. Day after day, hour after hour, he, the spirits, you know what the spirit does? It pokes, it convicts, it prods, and sometimes it bangs you a couple times. Get, get back over here. Because here and only here is where you are and I are in the center of God's will. You see, the more we hide behind the mirror and Jesus gets the credit the closer we get to our God. So John says, are you walking in light or are you walking in darkness? Because our God isn't, doesn't have any darkness in him at all. Look at verse seven again. Verse seven says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. So what's it mean to walk? Like, like what does it mean? <laughs> I'm just moving. I must be doing God's will. <laughs> moving. Walk. Walk. Walk does mean progression. We should be moving. We, you and me, should position ourselves in such a way to get maximum reflection. That's our goal. Like, so every day that we wake up, 
We want to be in tune with God. God, we want to give you greater glory today. And so you know what we need to do? We need to move. We need to move our mirrors. We need to become moving, not stationary, not sedentary. But here's what happens to us as Christ followers as we age. We lose movement because I don't like it that way. You know, I used to, but it's getting harder. Like that music, man, imagine what it's going to be like if we just continue to allow it. Imagine, like I'm not moving there. And so we make these choices based upon comfort. And as you and I age, and I'm aging with you, I have decisions to make every day. Am I trying to control the seat of glory so that it comforts me, so that I get greater glory? Or am I regularly trying to give Jesus greater glory? And the only way we do that is not by making it what I want, but what the Son of God wants. And then John tells us a beautiful, beautiful thing here. He says this. Look what it says in 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, here's some benefits that some of us neglect. Listen, when we're walking in the light, his blood that was shed on the cross for us is regularly cleansing us, is regularly purifying us, and is regularly dealing with the sin in our lives, and we get cleansed. We, we, when we step out of the light and we go on our own and we head down the path of darkness, this blood doesn't regularly cleanse us because we haven't come to a point of repentance. So here's some things you have to ask yourself, and we have to ask, I have to ask myself regularly. Here's someone that has a sedentary lifestyle instead of a, a moving lifestyle, walking in the light. The minute we begin to ask questions like this, or say things like this, I don't like that, so we're not going to do that. I'm not getting a chance to get known. You know what? No one knows who I am. You know what? I'm so-and-so. Look, look at me. Like, look, I'm pretty big deal. And no one knows me. The minute we began to go down that path, you know what we're doing? We're hijacking the throne room of God. See, the minute you want more attention to yourself, the minute you say, wow, I, I'm not being able to do what I, what, I, what I can do, and so I'm not getting recognition. Listen, the minute you go there, it's called pride. And it's darkness. But the minute you get back here and say, you know what, God? I don't care if anyone ever knows who I am. I just want to give you glory and lift you up. Use me however you want. I am open to being used. Here's what happens. Not only do you become a reflection of that light, but God continues to make that light bigger because it makes him bigger and he makes your capacity and your influence larger because you are giving him greater glory and greater glory to God is what he deserves. And he's looking for Christ followers who say, it's all about you, Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Is that why you do what you do to give him greater glory? Here's what happens too. We see a girl that, like, for some reason, man, she's just rocking the kingdom for Jesus Christ. And it's like, man, this, she's making a difference in the school. And 
or she's making a difference at home as a, a, a working mom and as a, a, a non-working mom. And it's like, man, man, she has all these relationships and she's mentoring and she's loving and, 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 and people are running to Jesus. And, and when you sit over here and you see that, when you are a person who wants your own attention, you know what? You get a little jealous with that. And you do whatever you can to shut that off because somehow you feel like you got robbed of glory. Listen to me. That's called pride. Listen to me. Every one of us will struggle with that on this side of earth unless we finally get to a point and say, it's not about me. John also tells us this in verses 8 to 10. Look what he says. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just and will what our sins? Forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a what? Liar and his word is not in us. You see, this light frees you up to be all that you were made to be. You see, when we walk in the light, Hannah, can you bring that back on, please? When you walk in the light, not only does it reflect Jesus, not only does it mark out the path, but this light convicts. This light prompts you to change your behavior. This light says, ha, ah, that's sin. And so this light exposes truth. But the minute you step out of the light and want to go to your seat of glory, you can't be convicted. You can't be because you have quenched the spirit. So John is saying, get back in the light. And when you do, you can deal with your sin and allow the blood of Jesus Christ the work on the cross to set you free. And if you confess your sin while you're in the light, then you will be free to be who Christ created you to be. You can turn the lights on. But here's the problem. Some of us, it's been so long since we've been in the light. Like we're not even aware. And so we start running in circles with people that like they're over here and stuff they're saying, it doesn't line up. Let me just ask a personal question. People often ask me, how do I know if I'm walking in the light? Well, let's just go to friends. As a parent, what do we normally tell our kids? We tell our kids, you know, make sure that the people you run with push you closer to Jesus or make sure that when you're with these people, you're pushing them towards Jesus. So either or, like, we're supposed to be light in a dark world, and we'll see that in 1 John, and, and, and we're made to be that. But bad company can corrupt a good character. So as you walk into this situation that's dark, make sure you're a mirror and not producing your own light and be okay with that. So you got to ask the question, are the people I'm hanging out with pushing me closer to Jesus or am I finding myself walking away from the light? Think about things you did this week. Maybe you went out with a group of people. When you were with these people, did you walk away after spending a couple hours with these families that you love, these people, this individual that you love? Did you walk away and say, man, that was a great night of giving Jesus greater glory. And when I'm with those people, I'm either finding myself pushing us towards the light or I'm being pushed towards the light by them. Let me ask you a question. Is that what's happening with the people that you're hanging out with? Like, 
the people that you went to this place or you regularly go to, do you walk away from those encounters and say, wow, Jesus got greater glory by us hanging out tonight? Listen, if he isn't, then you are walking in darkness. See, I don't like that and you don't like that, but that's what John is saying. And he says, because we're in darkness, we need to confess our sin regularly. And when we do, there's this picture that it's a daily cleaning. We're daily forgived, forgiven of. So what's the word confess our sins? You know, it's, one, it's a verse that most of us have memorized. First John 1, 9, I memorize it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. King James Version, man, I learned that early. And I learned it so well that, you know, that like I just kind of go through, as a kid, I would just kind of, if we confess sins, he's faithful and just forgive us. And so I find myself conf- confessing, 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 confessing. What's it mean to confess? To agree with the truth. Confess means to admit our involvement with the sin. Confess also means it alters our behavior after we confess it. Confess also means accepting forgiveness confidently. It means like it's going to God and saying, God, I admit the truth. I sinned against you. God, I confess that that I was involved in that and I shouldn't have been. God, God, I confidently, I confidently accept your forgiveness. But do we really? Like, I heard a story recently about a man who had this sin in his past and he wanted to make sure, just make sure. Like, like it kept haunting him. Like, and he wanted to make sure that God had forgiven him of it. Like, he hadn't really confessed it, like the pattern that's, that, that freely forgives you. You see, the once you truly confess, once you truly confess and have a repentant heart and a sincere heart, here's what happens. You are forgiven, and the word of God says that God chooses not to remember your sins anymore. But there's this battle, isn't there? Like, Satan wants to come back at you, and that's why he's called the accuser. He comes back and he says, hey, remember when you were 16? Hey, remember last Saturday night? Hey, remember Saturday night before that worship service? Hey, you remember Sunday morning when you walked in? And, and, and if we haven't truly allowed the blood, if we haven't truly allowed this confession to take place, then we will, we will let the ghost of the guilt of the past haunt us until we die. And John said, no, you don't need to live that way. He said, there can come a point where you are truly forgiven and you just move on. Anyhow, there was this man that came to meet with this pastor who he wanted to make sure that this sin from his past was dealt with. And so he confessed to his pastor and he said, hey, I had this sin in my past and I want to make sure it just, I want to make sure. And so the pastor asked him, he said, so what did you do with that sin? He said, well, I made sure that he forgave me. And you know how? I asked him to forgive me a hundred times. You know, we laugh. How often do you do that? Like, Lord, I'm sorry. God, would you forgive me of that? And then, and then you're reminded again, like three hours later, the accuser comes, he comes and he says, you did what? You think God would love you? Do you think his grace can cover that? What if they hear about that? What if they find out about that? What if, what if, what if? And all of a sudden you're down all these paths. You need to stop and say this, Satan, you are a liar. I have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and I'm not gonna waste that blood. So in any case, he says, I, I've asked him, he was almost like, That must be like the magic number. Like God looked down and said, yep, 99, you're free. Do you think God does that? Like he like tabulates up. Well, that's like the 17th time you said it. You must really be contrite. The pastor said, 
you know what? So the, so the man asked him, so did I do the right thing? He said, he said, no, you didn't do the right thing. Instead of asking for forgiveness 99 times, you should have praised him for his grace and forgiveness 99 times. Over and over again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. 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 And every time you say Jesus, guess who runs? The enemy. See, way too many of us play the confession game from 1 John 1, 9. And we made it into like a formula. And we think, if I just say it enough times, like, and, and, and finally, like, like, okay, God, here I'm again. When I was 16 years old, and it's like you come home from these dates. And it's like, on your way home, it's like, I got to get it in 24 times. Then I know I'm forgiven. Isn't that what the Catholic faith does? Like, they go into a priest which the Bible says in Titus, there's only one mediator between God and us, and it's Jesus Christ, that we don't need to go to him and confess. And so go to a priest, Catholics go to this priest, and you know, so they come out of this confession, this booth, and with sincere hearts, they think they're doing, that this will do it. They come out, and you know what they do? They say like, all right, tw- you, you, you know what? The sin that you committed, that's like do 24 Hail Marys. <laughs> You think God like on the 24 says, forgiven? No, listen to me. We need to agree with the truth. We need to admit our involvement. We need to alter our behavior. And we need to live in such a way that doesn't confess out of a fear of God whacking us like a mole, that he truly has already died for all of our sins We need to bask in that forgiveness and walk back in the light and say, God, you are good. You are very good. Thank you. You see, many of us Christians spend the majority of our lives beating ourselves up. And in doing so, you know what we're saying? That the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross wasn't good enough for my sin. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And until you get this one down, you will go the rest of your life walking in darkness. True confession leaves us thanking God for his grace and forgiveness. But here's the problem. We're sinful people. And so this passage says that we need to daily, we need to daily confess our sins. And because our mirrors get smudged, like, like sin happens in our lives. And so our mirrors get smudged. And so what happens if, if we don't confess our sins and deal with them, our mirrors can no longer reflect the light. And so if we continue to to quench the spirit, and if we continue to walk in darkness, and we don't confess our sins, John is saying, guess what? You're not walking in light, you're walking in darkness because the sin smudges your mirror. And when sin smudges your mirror, guess what? Can you turn on the light, Hannah? We can't reflect the light. Like, we try, like, God! And sin smudges our reflection. And so John says this. You can turn the light back on. John says to confess your sin. And when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. He says, confess it. And it's a regular thing 
So continue to confess, and it's messy sometimes. Sin isn't, isn't a pretty thing. He says to confess it, to, to allow this confession, and to allow God to forgive you and to set you and to purify and make you clean. He says to confess regularly. Because if we don't regularly confess our sins, then you know what happens? Our mirrors are smudged, and they can't truly reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And so many of us in this room have these mirrors that are smudged. And the reason we haven't confessed is because we haven't let the Spirit convict us because we're over here walking in darkness. But the minute we confess, can you turn the light on, Hannah, please? We can reflect the glory and the goodness and we give Glory to Jesus Christ who deserves it. You can turn the lights on. See, here's the problem. We like being the center of our worlds, don't we? Like, I'm really good at my job. Look at me, I'm the best. Like, I did this. And even as men age, our home runs are longer our fish are bigger, our high jumps are higher, our mouth times are, 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 are faster. Why? Because we want attention. Listen, the longer you sit here, the more you give attention to Satan instead of giving authority and power and light to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who deserves it. Way too often... We are looking for ways to make us something instead of making Jesus something and giving him greater glory. I believe this next statement with all of my heart. The most attractive people you will ever meet are reflectors and not sources of anything. You see, we got to get this one down. The most attractive people are reflectors and not sources of anything. Casting Crowns has a beautiful song out on their latest album called Thrive, and the song is called Thrive. And in this song, there are these words that say this, just to know you and to make you known. We lift your name on high. Shine like the sun, make darkness run and hide. We know we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to do more than just survive. We were made to thrive. Lord, I pray with all of my heart, God, that we would give up our seats and exalt your seat. And in turn, walk in the light so that we can thrive and be the person that you created us to be and do the works that you created us to do so that ultimately your name gets greater and our name gets less. God, we are created to thrive. May Grace Community thrive so that you get greater glory in Jesus' name. Amen.